is killing the business worldwide. And I am your host, the sickest one of them all, Sick Vic. No matter how I introduce tonight's guest, it will be underwhelming with the reputation this man has. Accomplishments, extraordinary. His feet, the most educated. His talent, <laughs> undisputed. He is a three-time Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion, a one-time Ring of Honor Television Champion, a two-time NXT Tag Team Champion, and 1-0 and oh in the boxing world. Yes, sir. He is Bobby Fish. How are you doing today, sir? <laughs> I'm doing good, Vic. Um, sick Vic. Uh, I'm doing good, sir. So if you could sum up your career using one word, what word would that be and why? Um, huh. Um, persistent. I so think uh, I was raised, um, you know, my, my mom was a nurse. My dad was a fireman. Uh, a lot of civil service in my family bloodline. Um, you know, so blue collar people. And um, if it were not for the, the, you know, the persistence that I saw because my, my dad, you know, would, would work at the fire department and then work other jobs as well. And, you know, I, I just, I saw the work ethic. Um, I don't know that I would have, you know, you're a kid, you just know what you see, you know, what's modeled for you and like, I don't know, put, putting your, your head down and plowing through obstacles was just, I, that was what I saw my dad do just every day. With your uh, background in uh, boxing and um, kickboxing, correct? Yes, sir. Did, was professional wrestling something you always wanted to do? Or was it something that, you know, why you were trained with both of those? It fell in your lap and you just went with it. Um, it wasn't something I always wanted to do. My first love was uh, football. I, I, I loved football. I, I played um, four years in college. Um, and the writing was on the wall. Like I wasn't going to play professionally and support myself. Um, the, the one shot I had was uh, there was arena football at the time. Um, I worked out for a couple teams. I didn't get picked up. And um, every attempt I made at, at like a nine to five um, just wasn't working out. You know, I have a bachelor's degree in English, but I, I didn't have a plan. Um, the ongoing joke amongst a lot of my friends in high school and even a little bit in college was like, oh, yeah, you'll end up being a professional wrestler because they knew I was a fan. And um, I just I don't know, I guess I had. The, what they perceived as the personality for it and um i don't know eventually i started considering it and um you know one thing led to another and here we go 20 some odd years later how old were you were you when you started training as a wrestler and where did you go 24 um so i started late by by a lot of pro wrestling standards you know like Rocky Romero, Ricky Marvin, I, I believe started at like 13. Um, so 
uh, it was a little bit later run uh, start for me, uh, but I played four years of college football, you know, like I got my bachelor's degree. I, I was, um, I, I actually, I was partners in a bar restaurant when I started training to become a professional wrestler. I started training with Tony DeVito in uh, Newburgh, New York, which is upstate, uh, was about an hour and a half from where I grew up. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, DeVito jokes sometimes now, uh, you know, I was always late, he would say, um, but I would never miss. And, uh, you know, a lot of that was because I was up until, you know, the bars close at 4am in, uh, New York. So I would be up usually till like six uh, closing down and, and closing out registers and stuff. And then, uh, I would go home, uh, grab my stuff and head down to DeVito's to train. What promotions are you currently working for right now? Right now? Um, I'm independent. So, uh, that I was working some for new Japan, um, new Japan strong back when was this uh i think my last date for them was maybe december um so yeah at at the moment it's uh it's independently you know um highest bidder (laughs) i could show up anywhere you know the bills are still coming in so i gotta keep paying them um so yeah I'm, i'm actually enjoying this um the freedom you know, this is the first time in in a, in a decade that uh, I haven't been under contract to somebody. And, and like I said, some things have popped up on my radar, like the boxing match um, that I did in November, that if I was under contract to WWE or AEW or, or anywhere, um, you know, consistent like that, I would have had to ask permission, would have potentially not been granted that permission. So with that um i kind of you know i wanted to just kind of be uh free for a little bit and see what else is out there tell us about your very first match and how did it go um first well so there was a battle royal i don't really count that as a first match i will count it was a three-way um it was two guys that uh, I trained with a bit at DeVito's. Um, they were uh, Guy, Guy, Guillaume Desaad was what he wrestled as, and Hale Collins. Hale Collins is in a tag team. Uh, I think they work for the NWA right now, um, the, the now. Uh, and the three of us, you know, we proceeded to, you know, uh, have just an awful, awful match, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but we got that first one under our belts. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was definitely three guys just kind of figuring it out, but, um, I feel like DeVito trained us well, um, taught us how to be safe, taught us what was important, taught us psychology. Um, I'm sure our psychology was ass backwards um, on that first one, but yeah. So tell my audience about your in-ring style. How would you describe it? 
Um, so my take on professional wrestling um, is you you got to get a good foundation, your good, your basics and whatnot. And I was fortunate enough to get that with DeVito. Um, once you have kind of the the foundation set, I think it's um it's on you to start figuring out what part of you, what of your personality do you want to infuse to make your wrestling different than the next person. And, and for me, it was always martial arts. Um, if I look back to the early stuff that I was doing, I didn't know how to blend it. I didn't know how to get it in there. Um, so I, you know, it's a little bit painful to go back and if I see any of the early, early stuff, um, but at some point it started to click, it started to make sense. And I learned how to take these legitimate techniques um, because I've been doing martial arts since I was eight. Um, I take these legitimate techniques and apply them to pro wrestling and do them in, in a way that uh, works for pro wrestling. And uh, that that's like the crux of, of my style. So what about your finisher? Tell us about your finisher. Why is it your finisher of choice? Um, so at this point, I generally uh, Falcon Arrow off the top. Um, and it was something that I was I was doing uh, quite a bit in Japan, um, but I wasn't using it as a finish. And it's um, it's a spectacular looking sort of move. But it's, um, you know, I, I, it's repetitions. That's what pro wrestling is. And, and then, you, you know, you put enough repetitions behind something, you're just, you're good at it. And uh, it just didn't make sense to not use that as a finish anymore. Um, but uh, outside of that, like I started using um, a knee bar or a heel hook as a finish also. Those are um, jiu-jitsu leg locks that, you know, the leg lock game is huge in jiu-jitsu now, but like years ago, it was uh, kind of taboo. And um, so I've uh, always, always been a leg kicker because of my Muay Thai background. So they kind of went hand in hand. Off the top of your head, how many holy shit chants have you gotten in your career? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We definitely had uh, had quite a few in Ring of Honor and, and back in the day with uh, Red Dragon, the Young Bucks. Um, we had a we had great chemistry. Um, then there were there were a few a few others. Um, so I <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we definitely had quite a few for uh, NXT also, I would think. Uh, I don't know. That was a very vocal crowd. But, yeah, I don't I don't keep track of that stuff. How did – how tell us about the birth of the Red Dragons. How did it come about? Um, so Kyle and I knew each other previous. Uh, we had actually worked against each other as opponents in uh, Gabe Sapolsky's Evolve. Um, and uh, we both had a, a martial arts style um, and we knew we had good chemistry as opponents. It wasn't until uh, I came into Ring of Honor and Hunter, um, 
Delirious was was the booker. Uh, Cornette actually was the booker um, when I first came in, but Hunter was was kind of taking over, and it was his idea to put Kyle and I together. Um, they were splitting Kyle and Davy Richards away from each other for the first time. Um, and they were looking for a reason to get Eddie Edwards and Davy Richards back as a, a tag team as the American Wolves. Um, cause they had split, I think, and you know, we're at odds with each other, but when Davy needed help, because I was kind of the influence on Kyle that was getting him to pull away from Davy, you know, it just made sense. And I, 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 dare I say like Hunter had it, had it booked really well and it, and it really, it came together. Um, and Kyle and I had no idea the instant chemistry that we would have. Um, so when it hit, it was, it was really kind of undeniable, you know. In your opinion, what are some of the most important matches in your career? Um, I, I feel like, Kyle and I really hit uh, hit a stride when we got doing the stuff with the Young Bucks. Um, so, and a lot of that carried us through um, New Japan, gave us credibility right away. We had a style that was very palatable to uh, the Japanese style. Um, so, I would definitely uh, mention the the one with the Bucks, uh, but also, you know, um, as Red Dragon. With the American Wolves, I mean that was our jump-off point, and Eddie and Davey were, you know, super established at that point. Um, so to to be heels opposite them was easy, and it, it made you know we had all the creative creative freedom we could have asked for as far as developing what we would be. Um, and I give that credit to Hunter. Um, and then, and I would say, you know, our first tag title run there, which gave us instant credibility, we beat the Briscoes. Um, and we would go on to have, you know, more meetings with the Briscoes. And, and it was never, you just couldn't have a bad match with Mark and Jay. So uh, those, those are some that kind of uh, pop to mind when you, uh, when you bring it up. No, on a little side note, I just wanted to give you a, a huge thank you because when uh, when it was the Red Dragons versus the Young Bucks on Ring of Honor and they were facing the kingdom, you guys were the New Japan Pro Wrestling Junior Tag Team Champions. You had that little talk show, The Fish Tank. Yeah. Uh, just I was going through like a low time in my life and just like watching you know, those classic matches kind of re-sparked the love I have of professional wrestling. And I want to thank you for that personally. Well, you're you're very welcome. I mean, what what we were doing at that time was figuring out who we were, what our voice was, what our style was, and like we had, you know, very little limitation, so we could really kind of just throw things against the wall, and and whatever stuck, you know, is what we went with. So we were having so much fun. You know, I mean, creatively, we were able to really just kind of uh, figure it out and that there's nothing more fulfilling than to be successful, to get over whatever you want to call it and know that it, you know, it was nobody wrote this for you, really. You, 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 you know, Kyle and I, we were coming up with this and then we start to bounce ideas off of other people and, you know, Matt and Nick come into the, the mix and we, we just had a, 
you know, a, a very um a very symbiotic sort of relationship with the Bucks. I will ask you to list off all the championships you've won in your career, but which one meant the most to you? Um hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I have one that I could single out. Um, I mean, the NXT Tag Championship means quite a quite a lot. I mean, the, the my my boss bosses were were you know Shawn Michaels and Triple H. These are people that I I watched you know growing up myself. So to know that they had that kind of trust in us. Um, one of my favorite matches from that run would have been uh, against AOP. It was a takeover, I believe, in Philadelphia. But I, I felt wholeheartedly like Kyle and I were in the position of Arn and Tully. <clears throat> Arn and Tully and um, AOP were basically the Road Warriors. And I know what a fan Hunter and Shawn Michaels were of that era of like, you know, the NWA Crockett years stuff. Um, and I look on the outside of the ring and who's the manager for AOP, but Paul Ellering. So like, I mean, just kind of surreal, um, but just, just awesome. So, uh, you know, the NXT titles are, are up there. The ring of honor ones huge because tag team wrestling was such a big thing in ring of honor. And like I said, you know, wrestling the Briscoes, um, but even even the New Japan Junior Tag Titles, you know, I I had a, a career in Japan already at that point um, because of my work with Pro Wrestling Noah. I mean, that's really where I I learned this industry. Um, but I, you know, I was getting beat up a lot. So to come back to Japan, work for New Japan Professional Wrestling. Uh, they were a pleasure to work for um, and to hold uh, a title there. Huge stuff too, you know. Um, and I don't want to undersell the the TV title with Ring of Honor because that being a singles title and, and I, I'll be honest, at that time, I don't think they knew what to do with me. Um, and, uh, I, you know, that I feel like I, I kind of cultivated that myself. Like I almost manufactured a, a, a thing for me because they didn't know. So you didn't know what to do with you. So they decided to slap the TV tile on you. Well, I don't think they, they, I don't think they had a plan. And I think that I made enough noise, uh, when they had Kyle and I, cause Kyle and Adam were going to go off and do their feud. Um, and it kind of left me, you know, just they split us, but they didn't, we didn't, you know, turn on each other or anything. So it was kind of like, okay, well, we'll just, he'll just figure something out. And rather than sit on my hands and wait for them to give me something, I started to press the issue. And, and I think that that was, um, because of some of the things I did, I think they realized like, oh shit, okay, well then maybe we'll put the TV title on him and see how he does with that. But I think that I I created that, you know. So I'm I'm I am I'm I'm proud of that. Why do you think people buy a ticket to see you in the ring? Um, I think if you're a fan of martial arts, um, I 
I don't even think, I mean, I know uh, because I'm not a bullshitter when it comes to martial arts. Like I've been doing it since I was a kid. Um, I, I can fight. Um, I have learned the art of pro wrestling and, and how to mix my martial arts into that. But I think if you look at my martial arts technique, you won't see any holes in my game. You won't see uh, poor technique. You won't see, um, you know, the, the, the things that like, I, I don't like about martial arts. You, you'll see, I think if a real martial artist were to watch my pro wrestling, they would find it visually pleasing. And that's kind of always been my goal when it comes to, the martial arts that I incorporate into my pro wrestling. Just like life itself, professional wrestling is kind of a yin-yang effect. You know, you have to see the beautiful art of it, but also there's a dark side known as the I-word, injuries. What's the, some of the worst injuries you have ever experienced in the ring? Um, I had a, kind of a freak injury in the uh, fourth war games where uh, my tricep tendon, uh, it was torn, but it wasn't really torn. It was severed. So whatever came came through my elbow uh, and, and kind of caused the laceration to my elbow, it actually severed a large piece of my tricep tendon. So um, it didn't tear off the bone, but it, uh, it, it got severed, like as if somebody, you know, took a scalpel and went in there and, and severed it. So it was hanging by a thread that needed to be reattached. And that was a quite a lengthy recovery. Um, so I, I'd say that that one's got to be up there. But what keeps you a professor wrestling with like freak accidents and the grind and all that? What keeps you going? Um, I think for all those years, um, I had found something that I, I was good at. Um, it bridged the gap between, I've, I've always expressed myself from the time I was a child, physically the, the best, that was the best, the easiest way for me to express myself. I played a lot of sports and, um, I was always a physical kid. Um, so professional wrestling was kind of a, a way for me to still be that to still be an athlete to still you know it wasn't the same what I've learned over 20 some odd years is that it's not it's not the same sort of competing that you know kickboxing or um, football is per se but it's similar and so for a good portion of my career, I'd, I'd like to say that that competitive itch got scratched with pro wrestling. So what advice would you give to anyone who is trying to break into the business today that you yourself did not know when you started? Um, that truly anything is possible and like, it, sometimes it's not the most talented as much as it's the most persistent or the the one that 
will just outlast everyone else because they won't quit. Um, and it sounds very cliche and kumbaya to say, but, um, you know, you you learn to hear no, but you you hear it in a different way. I mean, there were there were a hundred no's before I got the first yes, you know, and and uh, so I would say be, you know, that one of the one of the skills that you you should develop is um, being able to eat shit with a smile on your face. You know, um, it's a skill and uh, you get good at that and, uh, you know, having having a good poker face and just being uh, being persistent, not letting them not letting them win, so to speak, you know, because there's you're not tall enough, you're not big enough you're too old you're you know that all of the if I let any of those things be my deterrent I would have you know I would have missed out on on this career I would have missed out on I don't know I've I've been back and forth to Japan like 70 times um I I would have missed out on you know, going to Dubai, I would have missed out on all the trips I've taken to the UK. Like I would have missed out on some of those takeovers, which were incredible atmospheres. I would have missed out on the Tokyo Dome shows in front of 44,000 people, you know, and that, that would have, there were a lot of things along the way that I could have said, okay, well, yeah, I'm not six foot, so I shouldn't do this. Or, um, 25 which is late for pro wrestling so i shouldn't do this i mean i didn't make it to wwe until i was 41 years old so if somebody told me that when i was on the come up i would have been like you're out of your mind like not only am i five you know barely five foot nine um but i'm not i'm gonna i won't get there until i'm in my 40s like you're crazy but I mean, that that's exactly what happened. So let's go. All right. You wrestled in countless matches in the United States and countless matches in Japan. What are some of the differences between wrestling in Japan than is to wrestle in the United States? Um, the crowd is probably the first thing that I think you would notice most prominently is is the crowd in japan they're they're much more quiet they're much more polite um they're watching intently it's not because they're not into it it's because they are into it and they are interested and they i think appreciate technique in a way that um is lost on the american crowd um it, they just watch it in in they in a different way and i think that a lot of it goes back to the martial arts um and that's a very strong influence there and i think that there's a a big respect uh factor to that and bushido and the the samurai and all that i mean that's woven into the fabric of what that country is so yeah, I think that's that's what you see at play and and why um the Japanese crowd uh 
why why they consume the way they do uh their pro wrestling as opposed to you know the crowd in in the states with signs and heckling and you know blah 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 and it's not to say one's better than the other or one's right or one's wrong it's just they're they are they're different do you have any issues with fans you know you have a bunch of keyboard warriors out there anyone try to think they're tough like hot shit for like calling out bobby fish on twitter or something um i'm not i'm not loved on twitter (laughs) Um, I, there's always the trolls and the keyboard warriors. And, and to be honest, I try to stay off social media at this point, um, as much as I can. I actually, I don't even Twitter's not me. I have somebody that handles Twitter because if it were me, I I would have gotten rid of, I would have deleted my account by now. It just, it's just toxic and it's gross and it's, you know, it's it's opinions that people don't, you know, they just, people love to be negative on Twitter, it seems. And like, I just, I'm not here for the negative, you know, like you're entitled to your opinion, all good. But like, if I post something on any social media that has something to do with one of my daughters or my wife or my you know, parents or something, and like you find room to take a shot at something like that. It just it's gross. So, yeah, um, <laughs> I could definitely take it or leave it, and and def- probably lean more towards leave it. Yeah, when someone takes a shot at my wife, I'm afraid what my wife's gonna say to the person because she'll be like, "Oh no, they did not." And like, <laughs> like calm, calm down, you know. You say you fired back, you know. If it fucks off me, it fucks off my podcast. It's, and then all shit breaks out. I'm just like, hey, I tried. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, it just it's unnecessary. But people love to have an opinion, and people love to be heard, and. Unfortunately, people love to be negative, which like I just I have no room for it in my life. Like we're raising a a 10 year old here. My my wife and I, we we, we work hard. We pay our bills. We, you know, we're trying to be upstanding citizens, bill paying adults. Um, I got no time for the, the keyboard bullshit. So what are some of the major bullet points do you think someone needs to have on their resume? to be a good professional wrestler? Um, I think you, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a must have, but I think it definitely doesn't hurt if you're a pretty good athlete. Um, It's not to say that you can't be successful in pro wrestling, not being a good athlete, but um, I know you know, for, for me, that, that was an easy translation. Like I have always considered myself a good athlete and I've always considered myself coordinated. Um, I think that that goes a long way when it comes to pro wrestling. Um, there are some of those that lack coordination. Um, and it's an uphill battle in, in my opinion. Um, I think, an ability to be present and be in the moment helps quite a bit. 
because while you're figuring this out, you, you may not be able to apply that presence, but once you get enough reps to where you start feeling comfortable, um, being present in the ring is, is one of the biggest things that you biggest favors you can do for yourself. Um, because when you're present, you're not trying to think of, you know, something that, that might be next or, or not in this moment, but in another moment, you are open, your creativity is there and you can ad lib and you might see something. It might be something a fan says or does. It might be something the referee does. It might be something that your opponent does, but when you're in that creative space and you're flowing and you're present, um, you're more apt to, uh, take advantage of, of those moments and those moments, you know, they're candid and you can't fake those like candid moments. It's, it's why people love like, you know, candid photos as opposed to the one where you're like, okay, everybody smile. You know, everybody looks fake. Why? Well, because they, they're, you know, they're posing where you catch like a candid moment of you, of you and your family and you can see like genuine joy on on your daughter's face or something that's that's different that you know so um i think trying to create those moments in pro wrestling um are where the magic is do you think the uh, some of the magic with the, the drama you hear all over the place and the twitter marks and everything do you think sometimes the magic is not as big in professional wrestling it just kind of gets buried with all the bs yeah, I think um, I think people would really, you know, fans and and just people who circulate pro wrestling, uh, the reporters, whomever, like you would really do yourself a favor in your fandom by um, consuming and digesting the storylines, the stuff that you're being sold. Stop trying to be so smart to the business like it it's that's not what it's for the the business is fiction so let's enjoy the fiction you know it'd be like reading a, a book that's fiction and then questioning everything that's going on in it and wanting to know well well who's the the real person behind the character like it's kind of crazy to think about um, I think the dirt sheets and, and all that stuff, um, I think it started in a place where people thought they were peeking behind the curtain, you know, and they get to see the wizard. But I, you know, not to use too many analogies here, but like, I think sometimes if you see the way the donuts are made, you, you might not like eating the donuts quite as much. And I think that that's what ha has happened with pro wrestling. And that's why like it's given way to, you know, some of these dirt sheet writers, it, it's, it's its own industry now, you know, people tune in to, to read about or hear about the things they don't think they're supposed to hear or read about. And so it's become like this incestuous sort of, I don't know. I just enjoy it for what it is. Like right now, like the, to me, the bloodline is such an incredible program and whatnot. And like, I just, I like tuning in to see 
what they're going to do next because I don't know. And that's when pro wrestling is is good. Like, enjoy that rather than, you know, who's angry at this person in, in the locker room and, and, you know, what you think of the EVPs or, you know, whatever else. Let me throw this throw this at you since you all about traditional wrestling and old school ways like the bloodline for example the reason i cannot get in the bloodline and it drives me nuts is whatever happened to the 30-day title defense clause defending championships and you have roman reigns who doesn't defend the championship for over 60 days and they still say he's the greatest of all time like small things am i go am i overthinking it or should I just like shut up and just enjoy it? Um, it, that's a hard one to answer because the the there's a lot of rules, quote unquote, that come into play in pro wrestling that mean something one year and don't mean something you know the next. And there's a lot of stuff that gets you know if if it aids in telling the story. Um, you know, some things kind of get pushed to the side and some things don't. Um, so I think that that's kind of where that falls when it comes to the bloodline. Um, I don't know. Cause I don't, I'm not a stats guy when it comes to pro wrestling. Like I was a stats guy when I played football, like I knew who had the most tackles and I knew who had the you know, most rushing yards, et cetera. But that's different. I think with pro wrestling stats, they are what they are and they're not meant to be dissected and be under a microscope because anything is not off limits in pro wrestling. Like if it, if it helps get something to where it needs to be, um, <laughs> we can, we can, uh, we can keep that quiet or we can push that to the side or we can make another one, whatever, whatever aids the story. So I think that's what you're seeing at play there. All right. So I'm just going to ignore that fact until they bring up <laughs> and be like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Just enjoy it. So if professional wrestling never existed, what would you be doing? Um, I would like to think that I would have probably veered more into fighting of some kind. Um, I think I, I would have possibly um, been a competitive kickboxer. Um, MMA could have been a possibility too. I've always been more of a striker. So that's why I say kickboxing. Um, I'd, I'd like to be honest about it um, with myself, at least. And I, I think that that's potentially um, more likely. I probably would have done more kickboxing. All right. So this is the silly side of the show because we're not a serious podcast. I like to keep things <laughs> and easy. Next yeah. question are called Mikey's High Fives. It's five questions that are from my four-year-old son that puts you 
on the spot in a way a four-year-old would. <laughs> okay. All right. Because of other obligations, knowing his bedtime, he could not join us today, <laughs> but he did drop off the questions. Understandably so, sir. He's got a curfew. So the first question, what is your ideal cheat meal? Um, ideal cheat meal. Um, I'm a desserts guy, so probably like some kind of massive sundae or like a cheesecake, uh, something like that. I like a just a classic chocolate chip cookie. Those are good, yeah. Especially yeah, good. I'm never mad at those. Fresh from the oven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could actually peel it off of a, a dirty, you know, automobile tire, and I probably still wouldn't say no. I mean, chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Five-second rule. Yeah, there you go. What's the most embarrassing song on your playlist? Um, probably uh, something by Taylor Swift. When I was uh, working in Japan a lot for New Japan, we were there like every month. Um, I missed my daughters, something terrible. And uh, they were big uh, Taylor Swift fans at the time. Um, and I would play. Yeah, I mean, I, I had her albums on my uh, my laptop and like you, <laughs> you would hear them from the hotel rooms in Japan. Because uh, when I got really... Uh, really missing them something bad i i would just listen to those songs over and over if you went to a karaoke bar what song would you sing and why um oh man uh because uh, we we did a lot of karaoke in japan um it's not sweet caroline uh country rose Country Rose was was such a great song to do on karaoke. And I just have very fond memories of some of the guys that I shared the road with in Japan, whether it be for Noah, uh, guys like Bison Smith, or obviously, you know, with Kyle and, and Matt and Nick and uh, Trent Beretta and, and Rocky Romero for, for New Japan. Um, Ricochet, Matt Seidel, shit, the list goes on and on. At the end of your career, if there was a movie made based on it, who would play you? Um, huh. I'm going to say Mr. T. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Pro wrestling. A little yeah. bit of artistic license. Um, yeah, I'm I'm gonna say uh I'm gonna say Mr. T. Mr. Best answer ever, of course. Yeah, I mean he was I'm talking Clubber Lang days, Mr. T. Like I want him on all the all the gear. I want him <laughs> jacked. Um yeah, just uh, shredded Mr. T. And what's the worst restaurant you have ever eaten in? Oh man, worst restaurant. Um Ooh, I don't know about worst restaurant, but I will say this. There was a restaurant we ate at in Japan and they feed you some, you know, strange cuisine if you're not from there at times. And there were some things that I had that I, you know, I, I never thought I'd try, but I did try them and, and some were better than others. But one thing that was absolutely awful 
it was a hormone. We they served us like some sort of hormone is what it was called. And it it was like like had like a jelly sort of substance to it, but it 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 felt like the texture was as if somebody put like gravel in like jelly. It was awful. Yeah, it was it was it was one of the strangest experiences of my life. So whatever restaurant that was, damn you to hell. Restaurant sucks so bad. You didn't even remember the name. <laughs> no, no, sucks so bad. Had a chain hanging from it. <laughs> so in five years, where do you see yourself? Um. Oh, I don't know. Um. Still married to my lovely wife, um, Mrs. Fish and I, uh, we will have a 15-year-old at that point, um, so she'll be in high school. Um, I'll have two daughters that will have graduated from college, so that will be insane. I think, you know, my dog's three, so he should be alive then. He'll only be eight. Um, yeah, I think I will still be, uh, doing martial arts for sure. Um, loving on my wife and, uh, trying to be a good dad and, and, uh, productive bill paying adult. What about some of your shorter term goals? Um, I would like to fight again as soon as possible. Um, the fight that I had in Dubai was a two fight deal, um, but they didn't run a a second event. Um, There's a chance that that might come back around, which would be nice. Um, I would like to to fight uh, kickboxing or MMA, preferably. Um, This was the Floyd Mayweather undercard, so it was just boxing. And I, I don't know if that were to come around again if it would just be boxing or if I could get somebody to uh, let me kick them. Um, I'm going to continue, uh, continue pro wrestling. Uh, but I, I would like to get into some uh, investments and uh, do some things on that front. Um, I think I, I think I could be happy, you know, teaching people what I'm going to teach them. I don't know but <laughs> teach them something, you know, whether it be pro wrestling or kickboxing or martial arts, or I, I don't know. I, uh, those are, I, I have recently stumbled upon my desire to give back. And, uh, I've kind of sold myself short as far as like what I would be able to give back. And I think that there's things in the pro wrestling business that become what you think is common knowledge, but it's it's common knowledge for you and the the peers that you're around all the time. And you don't realize there's a whole generation coming up behind you that that it's not common knowledge to. So um, I could see myself trying to pass on some of some of this uh, useless information that I got. <laughs> Do you feel like you just heard a certain point of your life and you just feel like you have to give back because I was the same way mid 40s I felt like I had to do more charities and give back more um I 
I'm a Christian and I'm a believer. Um, and that hasn't always been the case. And as I've gotten older and experienced some things in life, like, um, you know, I, I never thought I'd have read the Bible and, uh, I've read it three times now. And, um, it's, you know, it just, all of that stuff, that whole journey, that, that, that whole path for me has changed my life in immeasurable ways. And I think that, um, you know, based on some of the stuff in the Bible, especially like there's a, there's a, a guideline, there's a, um, a blueprint for how we're supposed to live. And I think giving back, I mean, if there's anything that Jesus did, it, it was give back. So yeah, absolutely. We, can all, we can all take a small piece of that and, and definitely do more than what we're currently doing. I think you could say that for just about everybody. And I think the Bible is just like the magic of Professor Russell and just so much negativity and hate in the world. It gets like buried. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just, that's heartbreaking actually. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, but I think that that's also, you know, divinity as well and, and living with the, uh, you know, developing whatever the code is for you. But I believe that that's, you know, it's Holy Spirit and uh, you kind of figure out and let learn to trust it and let it guide you and stop questioning it so much. I, I know the biggest lesson I learned was it's on his schedule, not mine. So learning to trust that that's truly what faith is to me is learning to trust that like, OK, it might not look like he's working it out because a, B, and C sucks right now or whatever your scenario is, but trust that he is working it out. It just might not look that way at the moment because it's not on your timetable. It's on his. You got to trust it. All storms eventually end, no matter how yeah. bad they are. For sure. Yes, sir. 100%. So what events do you have coming up? Um... Man, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I just got off the road, um, not last week, but the week before, and I was uh, in Mexico and then Cincinnati, and then I stopped looking at my schedule because, uh, so let me see, what do I have here for the, the summer? Coming up in July. I am in Chicago. Um, I don't know the name of the company, and that's that's bad. Uh, I know I'll be there. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, that's the next one I have coming on. Uh, but yeah, I should have done better homework. Um, I uh, I have the undisputed podcast with bobby fish um we do that uh every tuesday it drops wednesdays a new episode uh we have guests sometimes uh my two bandmates and i just cut it up um but we we usually have a, a an interesting guest either from the pro wrestling world or some other interest of mine um 
that is really coming together and, and I love doing it and we're really having a good time doing that. Bobbyfishapparel.com. Um, that is where you can get the swag from the podcast uh, for me. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I could end up anywhere, any independent wrestling company, kickboxing, MMA, boxing. I mean, Christ, I did not anticipate being on the Floyd Mayweather undercard in November in Dubai. Um, so I don't know where I'm going to end up, but uh, it'll be interesting and I'm going to enjoy it regardless. So where can people find you on social media so they can follow you on your adventures? Uh, the Bobby Fish on Twitter and Instagram. Um yeah, I mean that that's the two. Uh the Undisputed Podcast. It, we we do have a TikTok. We do have a YouTube. Um the TikTok is obviously not me. We 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 already covered that. Uh, so but yeah, I got you know all the regular stuff. It's there. The Bobby Fish is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. And how often does your a new episode drop in your podcast? Every week. We every, week? Every, every week yep every wednesday we're on the premiere network uh that's our video portion um freddie prince jr um rob cardona and um brian myers have their uh podcast on there um they do wrestling figures um i mean they do other stuff too but i i know that that that's um like a focal point um Rob Van Dam and Ted DiBiase have recently um, started podcasts on the Premier Network also. And uh, dare I say the best podcast on the network is the Undisputed Podcast with Bobby Fish. And that's Undisputed. Yes, that's you can't. They, I won't I won't even hear your argument. Like, take that argument and stick it somewhere. <laughs> well, Bobby, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for coming on my well, two-bit show compared to your stellar career. It's a great honor to me talk to you. Thank you very much. Well, it was my pleasure, sir. Uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, we'll do this again sometime. Oh, absolutely. Maybe once my colleagues are available. I don't know where they are. <laughs> well, how dare they? How, how dare they? It's Bobby Fish. How dare they? <laughs> thank you for coming on, sir. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for everyone listening and thank you for everyone who watched. This is Killing the Business Worldwide and we are all out.